guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hi friends, welcome back to the pod. This is Melissa and you're listening to Mimosa Sisterhood and today we are coming at you with another Everyday Woman episode featuring a kick-ass woman that's here to share her personal life experience that I have no doubt is going to inspire the fuck out of you. So I recorded this episode only a couple of days ago and I am still completely in awe over my conversation with Conchin Singh. Conchin is the founder and the CEO of the coolest business model of all time, Crumbs and Whiskers, which is one part cafe and one part play with a bunch of kittens and maybe adopt one, which is basically what I like to call heaven on earth because your girl drinks like seven cups of coffee a day and I am literally a cat whisperer, which is strange because I'm actually allergic to cats, which is like must be the devil trying to torment my life because cats love me and I love cats. I am still just on cloud nine living in a different galaxy elevated into the heavens after having a conversation with her. I feel so humbled to have met her. I feel blessed to have had the opportunity to sit down with her and hear not only her personal story, but her incredible perspective about life and what it means to be a human being and what it means to heal as a human being. I'm just still like in this strange elevated state after speaking with her because so much of what she had to say about life like hit me to the core. I related to so many feelings that she had experienced during her darkest days and I just saw so much of myself in parts of her story and it really gave me so much comfort, so much inspiration and again, just this feeling of like elevation. So anyway, before we get into it, a couple just quick reminders. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe to Mimosa Sisterhood on Apple Podcasts. There are a lot of changes happening in the Apple podcast world. Subscriptions are being launched soon. There's a lot of just like techie things that are changing on the back end, which 
news reports are already confirming there have been a lot of issues in terms of podcasts going missing in Apple's cloud. So the one way that you can guarantee my podcast won't vanish into the fucking dark pit of Steve Jobs is to subscribe. (laughs) So if you aren't subscribed yet, please do so. And um, there should be no issues with you being able to access my podcast and listen to all of the episodes I have produced over the years. In addition to that update, I just want to give everybody a quick heads up that my pod shop is going to be opening very soon. I have so many really cool products that I have designed myself that I'm going to be launching for merchandise. I have spent so much time creating these designs and pairing them up with the perfect product and I'm just really excited about it and I think it's going to be a hit. At least that's what I'm hoping. So keep your eyes peeled on social media and in my newsletter in terms of my official launch dates so that you can be first in line to purchasing the first ever Mimosa Sisterhood merchandise drop. I am so stoked about it. I think you guys are going to love it. So lots of fun stuff coming probably in the month of June since May is already somehow over. But yeah, I'm going to have a lot of really fun stuff available for you that is in perfect time for summer. Awesome. All right. Great. Let's dive into it. Without further ado, say hello to Conscience Sing. Thank you so much for joining Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. Since I read your bio and learned a little brief rundown about your background and what you've built and created, I have been dying to talk to you because I am obsessed with cats. Um, and I'm just so like enamored and inspired by your story. So thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Of course. So let's just dive straight into it. Tell everybody who you are, what you created, and just a little backstory on your life. Yeah. Uh, I'm Conchin. I'm the founder and CEO of Crumbs and Whiskers, which is the first kitten and cat cafe in LA and DC. And what we do is we save cats from euthanasia who are at risk of euthanasia in shelters and we house them in our cafes and people can come in, drink coffee, play with cats. And if they fell in love with one of the cats that they're playing with, they can adopt them and take them home. And um, since we started, we've saved uh, over 3,000 cats from euthanasia, which is 3,500 cats from euthanasia, which is really cool. That is incredible. Thank you. So many little baby sweet souls saved. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, and so that's what I do. And I completely forgot the second half of your question. I feel like there was another question that I didn't answer. Just we want to know everything about your entire life. That's all. No, I'm just kidding. So I... So yeah, so basically like I'm obsessed with cats. I was so excited to just even know 
the person behind the invention of cat cafes in the United States. <laughs> it's funny because when I read a little bit about how you had gone to Thailand and visited a cat cafe there, I had also visited a cat cafe when I was traveling in Bali. I oh, couldn't amazing. believe that I like stumbled upon a cat cafe and I was like, what? These exist? Yeah, that was exactly my reaction. <laughs> I was like... Why have I never heard of this in my entire life when this is the coolest thing I've ever heard of? Yeah. What? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, like, I guess one question I have was, like, have you been an animal lover your entire life? Mm. Have you always had a passion for animals and for, like, rescuing animals or just, I don't know, dedicating your life to animals in general? Or was this really just something that sparked after this trip that you had to to um, Thailand how did this all begin and then how did you decide to like pull the trigger on a business yeah yeah um so yes I've always loved animals you know like when I was in kindergarten uh, I used to eat meat when I was in kindergarten I learned in school that like in my child brain I thought animals died And then we ate them like they naturally died and now we're eating them. And then in kindergarten, I learned that animals died because we (laughs) ate them and it shattered my heart. I came home. I declared I was going vegetarian to my parents. They were like, she's like five, whatever. (laughs) Moving on. I never touched meat again in my entire life. Wow. Like they thought it was a phase. And I'm vegan now, but I went vegetarian at like that young of an age. And Mm -hmm. I was, I grew up in India. My first pet was a peacock. I grew up like literally like removing caterpillars out of the sidewalk carefully because I couldn't stand watching like the squished caterpillars in India during like the monsoon season. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, massively into animals. Then in my teens, I volunteered at shelters. Um, I moved to the US in when I was 14. uh, And then I volunteered in shelters and, you know, really didn't love, um, didn't love nonprofits because uh, a, they were too donor controlled in my opinion. So like, whoever your donors are and what they value gets prioritized. So let's say they're saying, we only care about the number of lives saved. Well, now the rescue may not be accepting an animal that has a fighting chance at life, but probably won't survive because they want their resources to go to the numbers because then that goes to the donors and then the donors are happier and then they give them more money. So just some of the kind of like practices that I saw happening just for numbers, I didn't love. And I kind of thought it would be so cool to be self-sufficient. You know, like how when you're a teenager, you're just like, God, I hate these rules. Like, I wish I was just on my own. Mm. And so this idea of like not necessarily being dependent on donors. I didn't know what I was going to do with that. I just remember when I was like around 17 in a shelter that I volunteered, I spent a lot of time with like this one cat. She was an older cat. She had been there for months. And I went in one day and she'd been euthanized (gasps) because... Yeah. Oh my God. I literally just want to cry already. (laughs) Yeah. I'll never forget that. I mean, I did dissociate. I I dissociate when, when it's too much for me. And so like, 
I both remember this and I don't remember this. It's mm -hmm. weird. Like my traumatic events are like dreams, but I can feel the emotional impact of them. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and I remember when I, at that age, I kind of was just like, you know what, when I'm older, I'm going to do something that helps animals who are at risk of being euthanized but I didn't know what that was mm -hmm. you know I just knew her death really impacted me because she was the cat that I spent the most time with because I could feel as an empath and as an animal lover I can feel an animal suffering like you know I just feel that and so I could feel her suffering in that cage and all of that and I tried my best to like be a source of like love and companionship for her and her death really impacted me and then um when i went to college i went to university of maryland uh the first day like you know i don't know like you know when they have like those fairs and they're like the student fairs and you get to like see all the clubs on campus yep. and blah mm -hmm. blah there was one very hardcore like intense animal rights group right like they're like we're gonna go throw paint on people and like, <laughs> everyone who eats meat is like the devil and i was like okay this is not my scene and there was nothing else and so i started terps for animal welfare uh my freshman year which was uh the first animal welfare campus uh club on campus and so then i was like the president of that for the next few years um after that, I, you know, I majored in like IT and finance and entrepreneurship and the seed of a business that's that gives back mm -hmm. happened in entrepreneurship where I learned about social entrepreneurship, which was this idea that you have a business that at the core of its model, what's built in is just by being in business, you're helping your community. Mm -hmm. And it was an idea that was created, started by Tom's with like the shoes of like you buy a pair and you give a pair of shoes to like a child who needs shoes. So that was like the whole idea of social entrepreneurship. And I remember I learned what social entrepreneurship was. And I was like, that's what I'm going to be. Like, I'm going to be a social entrepreneur. Um, and I didn't again is similar to like 17, the moment of like, I'm going to save animals from euthanasia I don't know how so like again at 20 it's like I'm going to be a social entrepreneur I don't mm -hmm. know how so it was just this feeling and then it kind of again was put to the sidelines and then I was working in IT at Accenture in this corporate job and it was so so less and two years in I just couldn't do it anymore yeah and I woke up one day and I was like I need to, I need like to feel like I have like a heart again and I need to feel alive again. Cause I just felt so it, like I was in zombie mode and I'd been in zombie mode for so long. And so I decided I love traveling. I, like I I've been to over like 20 countries and I just love being in other places. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to travel and I'm going to go volunteer at this elephant sanctuary because the person who started it is like one of my all time heroes. Um, her name is Lek. I don't know how to say her last name, so I'm not going to butcher it. But um, she started this ele elephant sanctuary and I just like was in love with her. And so I decided to go to that elephant sanctuary. And as soon as I got there, I realized. I reconnected, you know, like there are truths we know about ourselves. There's things that we know we care about, but then we can 
kind of just put them on the sidelines Mm -hmm. and forget about them and go on living about our, go on about our lives living. Right. And I just reconnected with the truth that I loved animals. Like I really, truly like felt it to my core. You know, I was like, this is like what I love. And I really liked how the elephant sanctuary worked because people paid to come in people paid to hang out with these elephants and that money was used to take care of the elephants. And, you know, that to me was a more self-sufficient model than like, I mean, they also had donors, don't get me wrong, but like rather than like fully relying on donors. But then I was like, country and like, who's going to come see cats and dogs, right? Like, cause I'm not going to come back to the U.S. and open like an elephant sanctuary. So I was like, <laughs> I, I was thinking about like how cool that would be if applied to shelters because shelters, all these animals are in cages and there's not enough space and they're depressed and like freaking half the animals are getting like antidepressants. Like it's just such a mess. And I was like, it really is. It's like heartbreaking. Like shelters are heartbreaking. Like I, I don't think I could even step in one anymore. Like I've over the years, I've become more and more empathic and more and more open and the harder it's become for me. Um, But yeah, so I was like, God, it'd be so cool if this is how our shelters worked, where they all roamed free and they had space to do that and it you could pay for it because people were paying to come in rather than just coming in for free, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I'm so stupid because nobody would pay to visit dogs or cats, moving on. And on that same trip to Thailand, on my last day there, These two guys, I'd met this British guy and this German guy on the road and we'd become friends. And they had watched me feed because Thailand has so many stray dogs and cats. Mm -hmm. They had watched me feed every meal, breakfast, (laughs) lunch and dinner. I'd be sitting on the side of the street with like all these animals feeding them. (laughs) So they picked up on the fact that I'm an animal lover. They were like, this girl likes animals. And so my last day there was my 24th birthday. And they took me to a cat cafe. And this was like hours before my flight. And I remember walking into that cat cafe. And it was like walking inside the answer to the question I had been asking, which was like, how do I do social entrepreneurship and animal welfare and help specifically animals facing euthanasia in shelters? How do I combine all of this? And then suddenly I was inside the answer, Mm -hmm. you know, and I remember we were like hanging out and it was like so much fun. And I turned to them, Nadim and Jacob, and I was like, guys, I'm going back to the U.S. I'm quitting my job and I'm starting a cat cafe. And they were like, we're doing the same, like back in Germany and back in like the U.K., right? I actually came home and did it and I'm still in touch with them and I'm still friends with them. And they just messaged me and they were like, you're crazy. You meant that. And I'm like, yeah, you didn't. They're like, we were joking. And I was like, I wasn't. I was dead serious. And so on that plane ride back, so literally this is the last thing I did in Thailand. It's like I got to Thailand. I connected with my love for animals Mm -hmm. and like that desire. And right before leaving Thailand, I like had the answers to like how I would do it. So on that plane ride back from Thailand, I didn't even have a notebook. I I swear the the hostess is probably like, why does this girl need so many napkins? But I had like, 
I kept asking her for like United napkins and I had a massive stack of napkins and I had built out like the entire business plan for crumbs and whiskers. <laughs> and like, I had like 40 name ideas, these like really embarrassing doodles of like cats and what the logo would look like. And I remember I came back to the US and I was so stoked, right? Like I felt this in like every cell of my body. I was so stoked about it. And I messaged my friends and I was like, oh my God, greatest idea starting a business blah 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 and everyone is like waiting for me to like drop some kind of like epic idea that like they it's gonna rock their world and i was like i'm starting cat cafe and they're like you're what and i was like starting a cat cafe, and they all thought i was nuts they were all like oh my god we thought this was some genius epic situation and this is idea and I was like it's not a dumb idea but like you know like for the next few months it was a lot of like believing what I felt and not listening to other people because that it was just kind of getting proven over and over again that like it wasn't an idea that was seen as like legitimate or serious mm-hmm. it was more so and I was 24 year old girl mm-hmm. so it was like oh this is it's this dumb millennial with like another millennial idea we're so over the millennia- millennials and like what they're doing you know it was like that kind of a vibe and landlords didn't want to give me their property to have like cats running around in it they're like <laughs> no <laughs> banks didn't want to loan me money they were like how are you even getting your permits? I remember I didn't know if like, I was like, I don't know if DC is the place to start a cat cafe. It was only, I was working in DC and like living there. So that was kind of the first place that I thought of starting a cafe. So I just decided to partner with the Humane Society. I approached them with the idea. They were like, great, we need any facility that allows us to pull more animals, we'll get behind, right? Cause like they, they need that. Mm-hmm. And so just using their Twitter, I just built a landing page and we just tweeted like DC cat cafe, hashtag cat cafe with a link. And I couldn't have predicted what would happen next because the Washington Post was calling me within like 10 minutes of that tweet. I still can't read that article because I had no idea. I was not prepared. I was like still working a full-time job. And I just was like, oh, I wonder what like five people on Twitter might say, not like the Post, you know? Yeah. And so suddenly we're in like all these papers and now they're calling the health department going, how is, how are they getting the permit? And the health department's like, we've never heard of this girl and we've never heard of this idea. And then they're like, oh, this isn't actually, and like it turned into this like massive like debacle that I didn't anticipate or expect. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the health department is after me and they're like, what are, what is going on? And like, there's, it just turned into this whole thing, you know? And, but anyway, the cool thing was it became like the biggest trending topic that day on Twitter in DC. And it became very clear. Like when I opened my inbox, it was like pages and pages of emails from people about how excited they were about a cat cafe Mm -hmm. and how they wanted to get involved. And it just, I was like, I guess I'm doing this. I guess there is a demand for this after all. (laughs) Yeah, they decided it for you. They sealed the deal on that one. (laughs) And 
So yeah, so that was, then I kind of did like a Kickstarter because again, I couldn't get funds from anywhere else. So I, I raised money to like do open the brick and mortar. There's, there's a lot of hate. It's a lot of hate. I cried a lot reading the hate. Which, hate about you know, what? Just like, I remember people were like, this is dumber than the cereal cafe that happened in DC. It's not going to make past like four months. Like this girl and her cats should be, you know, like the internet is a wild place. You know what though? It's like, I, I listen to a lot of like inspirational podcasts and they always like reference back to this one thing that when people are living their true authentic self and they're doing it unapologetically and they're just vibing on a whole nother level the people that aren't following that path get pissed. They're yeah. mad because now you have proven like, hey, I'm out here doing this shit and I'm killing the game. And that lights a fire under everybody else's ass that's <laughs> sitting down watching their hundredth episode of like fucking Bachelorette. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah that's why people get pissed. But also like get a life. <laughs> like, I can't even believe that many people would be contacting you to just like express negativity like how horrible yeah it was intense it was a lot as a 24 year old and like you know the hard part was I already felt a lot of doubt like I was already starting a freaking company that was a brick and mortar that's serious uh my parents weren't behind it they weren't supportive nobody else in my family was so it was like me and me and I was already like facing a lot of doubts and so when you already are like facing your own doubts and then everyone is hurling their doubts at you it because at least for me it became pretty like crushing I mean I still something in me that just kind of was like you're doing this and I was like okay I guess I'm doing this and so I did it anyway but like I literally remember one day sitting outside my brick and mortar this is before we'd opened, wanting to like vomit because I was that afraid Like, I felt that much fear. And I was, like, on the sidewalk, on the side of a D.C. street, like, just about to vomit with fear, you know? And so, yeah, it was intense. It was hard. But we opened. And the first day, it was, like, a liner on the blog. Like, our booking system, online booking system crashed because so many people were trying to book tickets. Our tickets at the time were only $8 or $10, like depending on how much time you picked. And we did $22,000 in sale on our first business, on our first day in business. That is out of control. It was out of control. And (laughs) by the way, like I wasn't expecting any of this. So like it was me and like four part-time people handling all of this. That was it. That was the team. And the first day, the line around the block was so long and literally all these people are trying to get into the cafe when like we're already booked for the day. Like we're booked. It's over. It got booked online. And people were so pissed that we were booked that a lady actually broke our door. And I was like with a hammer, like putting the door back, trying to hold it together because we have cats. They're going to run out. It was a scene. It people was... are nuts. <laughs> that is just complete mayhem yeah. <laughs> breaking down the door <laughs> like and I don't know how she did it but she broke it down like the whole door came falling in and yeah I, I'm I'm pretty sure I like was out of my own body like honestly like those first few months are like a blur to me like yeah. it's just 
a whole blur. Um, and I was living, I literally didn't have the energy to go back home every night because it was like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people every single day, most of them disappointed that they couldn't come in. And the people who came in were disappointed for different reasons. A lot of different things, right? Like our architect was like, oh, you have this much square footage, you can hold these many people. Okay, let's hold that many people. Well, people in a cafe are sitting on their computers working. People in a cat cafe are walking around playing with cats. You can't mm -hmm. have the same number of people. It is way too crowded. Mm -hmm. So like the people inside the cafe are mad. The people outside the cafe are mad. The cats are like, <laughs> what are the cats doing? A whole other thing. <laughs> They're like getting in fights. They're like jumping <laughs> off of staircases. I was like, what have I done? <laughs> you know? Uh, they're like vomiting, like cats like vomiting on somebody. There's like a cat that's like jumping off a shelf and like landing on somebody's face. And I'm like, we need a waiver for this. And like, it's just like, it was just insane. And yeah, like I'm so glad nobody sued me in those early days because like people were leaving like with like a scratch across their face. Oh, and I was like, gosh. I didn't see that coming and I didn't see that coming. And I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And then, like, the smallest things would turn into, like, major issues. Like, okay, we have, like, a, a plumbing issue and the guy needs to, like, get in the wall a little bit. Well, he got in the wall. He, like, went out for lunch. A cat got into the wall <laughs> and got stuck there. And now we have to call 911 and firefighters and, like, nobody can get the cat out. And then at 2 a.m., the cat's hungry and she just walks out. And we're like, really? Really? Oh, we, we, we've been here God. for nine hours. And you could have just, you weren't stuck. Yeah. You were just in there by choice. Mm -hmm. And now she you're. Said, Come and get me, bitches. <laughs> so, yeah, it was wild. It was like absolutely insane. And I remember at the time, I like this is this kind of is jumping ahead to kind of my mental health issues and like mm -hmm. the breakdown. But, you know, something that I look back and realize is like we as humans are only okay with like the level of success that we believe we deserve and I had very very low self-esteem given kind of like my upbringing and so this was way past my comfort level it was way past what I had thought and so what I didn't see then that I see now is I actively started sabotaging my business like I actively started like ignoring calls from reporters like just not like, you know, like a lot of kind of other different things. Um, and it's interesting because we're very complex beings. So like there's like conflicting parts of us. There's a part of us that wants more success. There's a part of us that wants less success, whatever else, you know. And so like there was another part of me which was like no amount. Of, this isn't enough. Right. And so like in a year I opened um, our L.A. location, which I'm still really glad I did, even though it came from a place of like not good enough or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> And then the LA location got covered by BuzzFeed, again, just randomly, like we didn't, I hadn't hired any marketing, any PR agency, like nothing, you know, and then the LA store got covered by BuzzFeed. And again, silly me, I was like, oh, BuzzFeed, it's fine, whatever. No, that video got like 14 million views. <laughs> and like, our phone didn't stop ringing for like a month and a half. And yeah, it just was like that all over again. And so, um, so yeah, it was really cool. It was really fun. But there was like a lot of stuff that was breaking down. Yeah, whether it was around like cat health, whether it was just around like employee, like, like company culture, employee stuff. And 
the more I achieved, the bigger my inadequacy got. Because when we don't feel inadequate, when we don't feel enough, when we feel like there's something missing inside us and we think something external will give that to us, once we have that external thing, you we feel how you feel that hole almost gets bigger. I don't know why it works that way, but it's almost like, I think Jim Carrey said this, where he said, I wish everybody could be famous and rich because then they would see that it absolutely doesn't solve anything that you are going through internally, mm-hmm. you know? And so anyway, all of that to say that like my own self-esteem was like plunging. Like I remember the day there was like a Forbes article about me. I couldn't get out of bed and I cried all day because I felt like such a fraud. Like Mm -hmm. I just felt like people are reading these articles. People are seeing like somebody who's like successful and has done this like new unique thing like against all odds who started a business at such a young age who's who's, you know doing all of this and like I feel so insufficient and inadequate and insignificant and so once the LA location kind of like once I had both the locations like my own Issues, And I think like, you know, when we do things that terrify us and when we put ourselves out of our comfort zones, all of our triggers and all of our insecurities suddenly come up to the surface. They might have been like buried within and now they're in our faces, Mm -hmm. you know. And again, these are all things I didn't realize. I didn't realize what was happening at the time. I just knew that my anxiety was through the roof. My self-esteem was like down in the gutter. And I was constantly anxious. I became insomniac. I couldn't, I remember there was like a time where I didn't sleep for five nights straight. And the sixth night, 7 p.m. came around and I literally was curled into a ball, rocking back and forth and like crying hysterically because I didn't want to spend another sleepless night. Like I was terrified of the night that was coming, Mm -hmm. you know? And then there were other times where, and then I also started getting sick. Like I would be sick 28 days a month, like horribly sick. Like with colds and that, that kind of sickness? Like fever, yeah, yeah. chills. Yeah, all of that. Yeah. And headaches, like all these kind of like random things. And and then my my anxiety was through the roof. I'm not sleeping. I'm getting sick. And then like the depression hit really hard too, where I would there was like a two month period where I would just be in my house, all the like things closed. Like I'd take like work meetings from my bed and all the blinds closed, like I wouldn't even turn the lights on and would only get out of bed. Like when I felt so hungry that my stomach felt like it was like eating itself. And Mm -hmm. I would like grab like a cold piece of bread from my fridge and just bite into that and then go back into bed. So I just didn't know what was happening and I didn't really know where to turn to. But while this was happening, like while while you started detecting like this unraveling that was going on, like did anybody else know? Did like your family, your friends, business partners, was anybody aware that this was happening? No. What people saw was that I had become way more critical, way more judgmental, way more like like nothing, nothing that I was saying was good, right? Like it Mm -hmm. was like, hey, you missed this hey, 
we had a bad review. Like all, it was like my vision. I could only see what was going wrong mm-hmm. uh, because I'd gone in that place in myself. Yeah. And so everybody became unhappy, but they didn't realize I was going through depression or anxiety. Right. Mm-hmm. They were just like, Kanchin, like you've just gotten really intense. Yeah. Like you've become super hardcore and intense, but what they weren't seeing was the pain and the suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I became hardcore and intense because I was a 24 slash 25 year old who was doing the job of a CEO. Yeah. My dad had instilled in me a very different vision of what a CEO looks like. A CEO is a man. A CEO is competitive and cutthroat and, you know, uh, just wants excellence from everyone and like you know we have at least i think i think in today's culture that's breaking down more but at least like eight years eight years ago seven years ago god i can't do math in my head but like even five years ago it wasn't as we we had more of a celebration of that kind of archetype of like Mm -hmm. cutthroat and competitive and blah 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 and so that was my idea of the only way i could find success as a CEO. So I am becoming that more and more, not because it's who I am, but because it's the only way I believe I can be successful. And that's the other thing. When we start becoming someone we're not, we start feeling the pain of that internally. So that was the other pain that I was feeling that I didn't really realize I was mm-hmm. feeling. Then what happened was there was a week where 100% of my management team quit. They were oh. like, we can't do this. Because I, again, I was so intense and 80% of my employees quit. Like that was a week where it really looked like if I didn't turn things around, the business wouldn't survive, Yeah, you know? And, you know, when something like that happens in your life, you can go two places. And I definitely went the easier place first, which was pointing my finger at everybody else going, mm-hmm. nobody else understands how difficult it is to start a company, to run a company, to do it all in a bootstrapped way, because my business is very bootstrapped and I didn't really have rich parents or rich somebody backing me up. Like it was like do or die. And that, that just was it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just kind of was like, nobody gets it. Nobody gets what I'm doing and I'd like to see them try. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I went to a place of like, let me look in the mirror. Right. Let me, Maybe there, there, there's probably validity to what's being said. And it's painful to do that. It's painful to like say, it's not you, it's me. And it's painful to look at like things in ourselves that we don't want to look at. But that's kind of what I decided to do. And that was when I decided to start therapy. Because one of my mentors has said, you know, she was like, honestly, you've said a lot of things to me at this point that have made me think that you really need therapy, but I'm your business mentor. I didn't want to go in that. But now that you're saying you're not okay, like you need therapy. And that's when I started therapy. And a lot of crazy things started happening once I started therapy. In the same way that when I went to Thailand, I... If somebody told me before I went to Thailand that when I came back, I would start a cat cafe, I would think that they were out of their freaking mind. Yep. Right? Like, I did, that came out of left field. So, when I started therapy, um, 
my childhood had always been one large black screen. Like when people said, what's your favorite memory as a child? What was your favorite movie? Like I was always like WTF. Like <laughs> am I? I was like, I don't remember anything. And I was like, oh, I just have a bad memory. And then moving on. No, I didn't remember anything because I had a very traumatic childhood. That's why I didn't remember anything. And it was all repressed. And so when I started therapy and I started opening that can of worms and I started actually feeling like I had cut myself off of my emotions. Like mm -hmm. I was didn't feel right. And when I started feeling, it was like a flood because there was so much backed up and backed up and backed up. And I used to journal a lot. And I remember <laughs> there was one night I was crying. I was like weeping. I was literally like curled up on my bathroom floor just to be dramatic, I guess. I don't know why I was on my bathroom <laughs> floor. I could have been in a more comfortable place. Um, and like weeping. And I pulled my journal to write and out came a perfect two-page poem, start to finish. I have never, I'm an IT and finance major. I started school with like aerospace engineering, right? Like never written poetry. And I remember that I was like distracted from my own pain because of what came out, like this poem. And I never even read poetry, like up until that point, and I still don't really read too much poetry. Hadn't even read poetry. And suddenly it's this perfect poem. And I'm like, that is strange. Where did that it come is... from? <laughs> <laughs> One of your angel guides stuck it in there? <laughs> you know, I, I have the belief now that there is so much in us that we shove away. Like that gets kind of like beaten out of us as children or like taken away from us. And my artistry was one of those things. I was an artist as a child, not a writer, but like I loved art and I loved singing and I loved music and I loved dance. So like in the art world and I grew up in India and I have immigrant parents, like it's very hardcore. It's very like life isn't luxury to us. It's you have to figure out how to survive. It's a survival game and that's all there is to life. And like, oh, cute painting, moving on go learn computers because that's where that's how you're going to survive you mm -hmm. know and so i i think that it was in me this whole time it just kind of had gotten locked away mm -hmm. and healing and like feeling my emotions unlocked it you know and suddenly i couldn't stop writing poetry like i was like i, I kind of was like okay that was a random fluke whatever moving on and then like in like five days, I've written like 20, po like all of a sudden I went from like non-emotional, like over critical, over judgmental to like crying constantly and writing poems. Like it just like kind of was a weird, I had an identity crisis after that because I was just like, <laughs> what is happening to me? And my healer, my therapist was like, you're healing. And I was yeah. like, okay, I, this is not what I thought I was getting into. But anyway. So, um, and in, in therapy, I was facing a lot. I was molested from a very young age uh, by a lot of different people. I was physically abused, sexually assaulted. I had a very emotionally unstable mother who I've 
watch attempt suicide and then blame it on me and say it's because you're so terrible like a lot of events in my life that caused me to completely dissociate mm-hmm. and like very fragmented like fragment you know like in healing and therapy it's like parts of ourselves that just get fragmented off and cut mm-hmm. off from us because it's such an intense trauma and i was processing so much and so much like guilt and shame and rage and grief and pain and all this stuff. And I just, the only way I knew how to not like literally die under the weight of all of that was to write. Yeah. Like it was the only way I knew how to process it. I'm the exact same way. Mm. That's crazy. Are you? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And then it's like this weight that you, you're almost like, it's like alchemy. It's like taking emotion or pain and then turning it into healing through writing like the power of writing is incredible oh totally Um, that's amazing that you do that too that's really cool and yeah couldn't stop writing and a year in you know since I was young like not young since in college I would say like I'm gonna write a book one day and people be like what the book about what's the book gonna be about and I was like self-help but I don't know how and A year in, I realized I had been writing my book, Mm -hmm. you know, a year in, I kind of just realized like my journal entries, the poems I'm writing to process my pain is my book. It's not a separate book Mm -hmm. outside of this. And so I kind of, I just kept writing and gosh, I've changed so much. Like I would say night and day, but really it's like, I wouldn't even say it's like earth to like Saturn. I would say it's like solar system to solar system, like difference, you know, like light years in terms of like how different I am. And now I kind of just really realize that when we don't feel loved, when we don't feel accepted, when we don't feel seen, heard, valued as children, the damage that that has, because I've seen who I was and I'm seeing who I'm becoming more and more. And it's, it's wild. And, you know, in my own healing journey, what became really clear to me is that we all need to do, heal. We need to do our inner work. We need to feel our emotions. And because there are cycles and cycles of trauma and abuse that are going on on this planet, and we have to have the courage to break those cycles. Oh, yeah. And... It's hard and it's painful and it's like honestly like shattering like to a lot of levels and degrees and I don't have the words to really describe what we go through when we choose that other than like truly like it's the most courageous thing I think anybody can do is break cycles and break patterns of abuse and trauma. But what became very, very clear to me is that as humanity, we need to heal. Because the place that we are living in, the world that we're living in, is a place of acting out from a place of trauma. The reason we're not being our authentic selves, the reason we're not the the reason we're not doing what we love, the reason we're not being who we are, the reason we're betraying ourselves, the re like all of this is in childhood trauma. Like that's the root. That's why you don't see children betraying themselves. That's why you don't see children, like, you know, like that's who we come in as. 
And then it's not like, oh, we grew up into adult. Like it's like trauma is what happens. And so I wanted to write a book, um, which this is really hard for me. And being vulnerable to that degree, because this book is my journal entries right. from healing. Like oh, yeah. it is like raw, uh-huh. you know, start to finish. And being that vulnerable and that raw terrified me. And it took me, like, my process of writing my book was 90% fighting my demons, 90% fighting the resistance, 10% writing. But what I wanted to do was I didn't want to write a book that preached about healing. I didn't want to write a book that, like, told you, here's why you should heal. Because firstly, what, what, heal, what helps me heal and like, you know, whether it's music, whether it's movies, is like people's journey. It's like seeing somebody go through it, not hearing and being told, hey, you should go through it. Like, that doesn't do anything. And so I really wanted to write something where people could read it, people who have been sexually assaulted, people who have been molested, people who have been in, had have had abusive parents, whatever that is, help them feel catharsis, you know, and, and heal on some level. Um, and so, so yeah, so I ended up kind of just choosing to not censor anything to not Mm -hmm. say that, like, I'm willing to go this deep, but not that deep, you know, the book goes like as deep as I've gone. And it shows both the good and the bad, right? It shows like, the healing, and then it shows like the the kind of the pain, the shame, the grief, all of that. But then it shows like what loving ourselves feels like and looks like because we start to, our natural place is to love ourselves. So the more we heal, the more we just naturally feel love for ourselves because that's that's nature that's natural um and yeah my goal with the book like all the all the proceeds from the book will be given back to crumbs and whiskers to save more cats from euthanasia and my goal with the book is that it really helps women heal their traumas Mm -hmm. and step into their power and find like self-love and you know i'm still on that journey like sometimes you know, my book is called Dear Me, I Love You. And I get frustrated because my launch is coming up and there'll be days where I'm just don't feel any love for myself. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm publishing a book called Dear Me, I Love You. And I don't feel love for myself. And I'm a fraud. And it's very hard for me to like feel that. But then, you know, my mentors and people that I'm close with will be like, self-love isn't perfect. And it's a process. And, you know, you do love yourself. Like you're not lying. It's just that it's not true in this moment because your demons have come back to haunt you. But underneath it, there's still self-love. Well, and I feel like sometimes, you know, the universe or whoever, spirit, God, guides, whoever, whatever you believe in, will send you things, little things to just say, hey, you know, let's throw this at you and see how you're going to navigate it. Have you finished the work? Have you done the work? Are you recognizing this as one of your trigger moments? How are you going to handle this trigger moment? Are you going to revert to old ways or are you going to start, you know, implementing all the things that you've learned, all the teachings that you've had given to you? And are you going to tackle it 
on this new path, the, the healing path, the improved path, the self-love path. So I feel like, you know, everybody struggles with self-love. It's literally ingrained in our society to hate ourselves. It's around us everywhere in the world. And it's up to us to, you know, get to a place of fighting for that healing. But it's not forever. Like once you once you find that self-love, it does it's not guaranteed for the rest of your life. <laughs> like there's no way in hell. Things yeah. will always come. New traumas will happen, new struggles, new obstacles that will kick you back. Mm-hmm. And you have to now recognize when that's happening and be like, "Okay, it's happening." Mm-hmm. Like this is it. This is it. But I have had the learnings, the teachings, the help the guidance that I can actually manage this now the right way, not, mm-hmm. you know, the the harmful way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a forever journey. It never ends. Yeah. It just goes and goes and goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I definitely thought it would be some kind of a fairy tale. And I'm getting I'm getting a harsh. Yeah. In this literally like in this moment, getting a harsh kind of reality check of like, no, and you can have done a lot of work and experienced great love for yourself and still experience Mm self-criticism and judgment and self-rejection and all of that, you know. But yeah, that's kind of my like very long winded upside down kind of journey to this place. Your story is absolutely incredible, like, in just the way that you have seen and experienced so much at such a young age and have already been dealt so many obstacles that you have to navigate through and already have come to a place in your life in your mid-20s where you were able to recognize and reflect on the experiences you've gone through and made a choice so early in your life to overcome it. You know, there are a lot of people that bury for decades and they live a long and difficult life of ignoring, you know, these dark patches that they've gone through and being so young and already saying like, no, we're going to work through this. We're going to fight through this because I want to live a happy life. Like I deserve happiness and love and like great things for the rest of my life. Like that's a massive accomplishment. Like props to you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Seriously. It's it's like you've already said in this episode, it's scary. It's such a risk. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying to uncover all of these things that we don't like about ourselves but Mm -hmm. the quicker that you do that and the quicker you make peace with it the more likely that the rest of your life is gonna just move along a little bit cleaner a little bit more Mm -hmm. seamless a little bit Mm -hmm. happier a little healthier and there are so many things that you said that I'm just like screaming over here like oh my god I couldn't relate more to you in so many ways and even just with like your book and why you're writing it and like what you're hoping to do for the woman out there that's reading it that's like exactly what I'm doing on this podcast I'm like trying to teach listeners out there like you are so not alone and the things that you've experienced so many other people have gone through it too and like listen to their story like this is what they went through in their lifetime during this generation because we also do I do a women's history podcast in addition to this segment but just like having a place where people can hear other people's stories and their life's Mm -hmm. experiences and being able to look at that story and that person and relate to them and connect and heal and use them as your support system. It's Mm -hmm. everything. It is Mm -hmm. so powerful. And I just hope that 
you know, my podcast is doing as much good as I have no doubt your book is going to do for the world because for you to reveal the most vulnerable places in yourself and just throw it out there and say, take it, here it is, like that is huge and you are going to help so many people with that book. Thank you. Like, thank you It's like, wow, I cannot wait to just, it's just going (laughs) to impact so many lives. So that's just very exciting. Thank you. Oh, man. (laughs) I honestly feel like I just went through my own therapy session right now. (laughs) I know. I, like, I'm the the designated therapist, I feel like, of, like, even my friend group. They're like, we just call you when we need therapy. And I'm like, that's a compliment, right? I'll take it. (laughs) Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have a couple of questions. And I... I'm just saved them to the end because I just wanted to hear your story. And I'm like, you know what? I'll ask you some of these things later. So I might have to backtrack a little bit. But (laughs) no worries. Question number one is kind of a funny one in regards to cats in the cafe. Yeah. I thought that cats hated each other. How do you get like 30 (laughs) cats in one room and they're like, cool? They're not. (laughs) (laughs) They just figure out their territories in the cafe like you know that's like Shayna's territory Uh and if you go there she's gonna swipe at you okay and then you know like this other cat loves that shelf and if you try to get up there you're gonna get a hiss um so like it's almost like high school where they like find clicks so like there'll be like cats that like each other and cats that don't like each other Uh And they, luckily, cats like to avoid drama, so they just create their own spaces to, like, avoid the drama, but there is drama. It happens. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but also, they get along better than you would think, so, like, it's not like none of them get along, and, you know, they do, they get along. We sometimes even have, like, cats that end up bonding with each other while they're in the space and then we ask that they go home together because like they won't spend they just like bonded at the cafe and Mm -hmm. then they are like sleeping next to each other all the time we're like we can separate these guys so they form they form like friendships and stuff too okay and have you adopted any of the cats that were in your cafe yeah, I my only I have one cat and people are always shocked to hear I don't have more, but I have self-restraint. <laughs> um, her name is Luna and I got her from the LA Cafe. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> and I know that your business took a slap across the face like many others mm-hmm. during the pandemic last year. So Currently, right now, both of your cafes are closed, right? Yeah. They've been closed for over a year. Oh, my God. So what does that look like for post-pandemic life? Or now that we're, like, things are starting to reopen, people are getting vaccines, you know, the rules are kind of, like, life's going back to normal in a sense. Like, what does Mm -hmm. that look like for your business? Are you going to be able to reopen? Yeah, we're actually reopening in about, like, three weeks. So super stoked. Yeah. Are you going to have, like, a big grand reopening again? We are. Okay, I am coming to the L.A. Wait, are you in L.A.? Yeah, I'm in El Segundo. Yes. Okay, you are. (laughs) I am in Marina. You are definitely. You're 15 minutes away from me. You're definitely coming to the reopening. I need to be there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, it's so exciting. Like, I'm super, super stoked. So cool. So where have the cats been during the pandemic? Are they still in there? 
Oh, no, they <laughs> are all in foster homes. We, okay. two weeks into the pandemic, we were like, this is going to be a long-term thing. Yeah. And so we put them all in foster homes. A bunch of them became foster fails. Like, hey, people were like, well, we'll just keep them. We're in love. And then others, they're still being fostered. Uh-huh. But yeah, so they've been in comfy homes through the pandemic. So they've been good. So cool. So And then the other question I was wondering, like, I know that you partner with the Humane Society to make this business happen. Was somebody from the Humane Society, like, helping you along in, like, just the business side of the business? Or did you have, like, another business partner that's there to just manage the entire thing with you? Yeah. So um, initially our partner was the Humane Society. Now they're two different rescues. They were helping with kind of like the legal side of things Mm -hmm. of like the cats and the coffee. I don't have a co-founder or a business Mm -hmm. partner. Um, My younger brother has helped immensely. And there have been times where I've I've seen him as the Mm -hmm. co-founder. But but yeah, that it's just kind of been like help here and there. Um, I am a single founder and a single CEO, which I'm not sure I would recommend, honestly. (laughs) I don't know that I would say to somebody, like, if I had a daughter, I don't know that I'd be like, do this. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Not sure. Yeah. It's a lot. Do you foresee the future of, like, more cafes opening up? Are you sticking Mm -hmm. with your two? Yeah. I would love to have a cafe in Boston. Um in New York, in Chicago, and then like maybe like another one in Southern California. I would love that. So I definitely see more. I would also love a London one. That'd just be fun. That just sounds fun. I don't even know why it sounds fun. Um, so yeah, so definitely want to see, see it grow. But I do, my heart is in writing and performing. Yeah. Like I, and I, I haven't even started performing yet. This is, again, one of those weird shifts, you know, IT to like, cat cafe to like poetry performance it's kind Mm -hmm. of like wild um but that's where my heart's at and that's the truly like my heart's desire to pursue in an Mm -hmm. ideal world I'm growing both crumbs and whiskers is growing without me and then I'm doing kind of like the poetry and Mm -hmm. healing and all of that um but we'll kind of have to see how it plays out totally Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, so exciting. So much on the horizon. How can like our listeners support you? Like how can we help you out, whether it's with the Cat Cafe or your poetry? Like I know of of course social media, we can all be there, but like any particular things we can do on our end to just help cheer you along? Yeah, thank you for asking. That's such a kind question. Um, For if you're in LA or DC, just come visit us, right? Like just come hang out with the cats. Even if you don't adopt, uh, just by hanging out with the cats, you're socializing them. Mm -hmm. And socialized cats, cats that are uh, more comfortable with people and more comfortable, um, you know, are just friendlier with people, have higher adoption rates. So Mm -hmm. if you literally came to the cafe and drank coffee and played with cats, you'd be helping homeless cats, like, increase their chances of adoption. Mm -hmm. So that's super cool. Uh, We're crumbsandwhiskers.com. And then we also kind of accept, like, contributions that go towards, like, the care of the cats. So if you just kind of are like, 
I'm not coming in, but here's 10 bucks. Great. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's like a cat toy for a cat. Um, and then for me, uh, I am at kanchinofficial.com and you can just go there and right now just sign up to pre-order my book. Like you don't even have to pre-order it, mm -hmm. just sign up. And, um, it really helps to kind of have a bunch of people on who are just on the email list who are, you know, and I'll also be sharing kind of more of my journey and more of my mm -hmm. story and all of that on there. Um, but that's, that's also helpful. So yeah, being part of my community and joining my community and visiting the cat cafe would be awesome. Yeah. Amazing. And then of course, follow us on social. So crumbs and whiskers is at crumbs underscore whiskers. And then I am at X X. Amazing. Well, I always ask everybody one question at the end of all these episodes. So Mimosa Sisterhood, that's the podcast. Our entire podcast theme is about celebrating women's voices and stories. And I always like to ask everybody, like, what does the meaning of sisterhood mean to you? Mm. Mm -hmm. That's a lovely question. And, you know, one that I'm probably going to have a hard time answering because as somebody who was bullied by girls and, you know, in India when I was growing up and then I was an immigrant in the U.S. and then kind of rejected and shunned by girls, like I have experienced the opposite mm -hmm. of sisterhood. And so while I haven't experienced it, I have an idea of what that looks like, which is which I which I'm starting to kind of experience like a couple of friends. But it's, you know, just love and support and encouragement for each other and acceptance of each other and building each other up and, you know, cheering each other on and being there for each other, you know, um, like truly being there, not at a surface level, not at a level of like, let's put a bandaid on something mm. or let's get you distracted from this issue, but actually like, I'll go deep with you mm -hmm. and go deep. Like I, I'm here to hold your hand. I'm here to like be the shoulder that you cry on. I'm here to applaud you when you achieve a milestone. And no matter whether you fall or fly, I'm here and your worth and your value and how I perceive you doesn't change based on how anyone else might perceive you or what your external kind of like accomplishment is, you know? So that to me is sisterhood. It's, it's love, it's support, it's appreciation, it's kindness. And it's just, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's like a glue that holds everyone together. Right. You know? Yeah. Perfectly said. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I am like, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, which I shouldn't be because there's no shame ever. But I have been like really trying to like get into this manifestation state in my life where like I'm working on like unblocking the inner child, working through my shadow, all mm -hmm. of the therapeutic things we do. And just like really taking inventory of the things that I really desire in my life and like what that mm -hmm. looks like and means. And literally the first thing on my list is finding a soulmate best friend mm -hmm. and like listed out exactly like what does that look like to me? And it was basically everything you just said. <laughs> oh, then this is a sign that it's coming. Right? This is, yeah, this is like the universe saying, hey, we hear you. Yeah, we are, we're like, this is what you want. So at least that's how I'm going to interpret it. Good, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my.
my God. Well, thank you so freaking much. Seriously, like, I have just so much thanks to give you for just being so open and honest and vulnerable and sharing so many personal things about your life. Like, I just applaud you for just how fucking rad you are and I just really appreciate you being a part of this podcast and just sharing your story with everybody out there because I know without a doubt there this is going to touch so many hearts and um, that's what I aim to do I want my listeners to just feel inspired by the women that they learn about and you have already just inspired me in the past hour so I'm just very appreciative of that and I just want you to know truly how thankful I am. Oh my gosh, you are so sweet. Thank you. And uh, same, like, thank you for listening to my story. Thank you for caring. Thank you for, you know, also doing your own work. I know how much courage and work, just work that is. And Mm -hmm. for having this podcast that helps other women out there be more empowered and be more authentic. That's amazing. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. If you can think of one person out there in the world, a friend, a family member, a coworker, somebody you've met on social media, if you can think of one person that you believe would be greatly impacted by Conscience Story, please send it to them. Shoot it via email, send it over in a text, or even tag them on social. But sharing is caring, and our number one goal is inspiring women out there in the world through other women's life stories. So thank you again for listening, and as always, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest cheapest and fastest way to show your support for the show and to help us reach all of the women out there that currently don't know that we exist. All right, guys, thank you again. And until next time, drink wine and keep kicking ass out there in the world. Bye.